I appreciate that song. Uh, echoes my sentiments almost exactly this week, especially as we've been, well, really this election season, I guess I would say. This uh, sermon in particular has been uh, one I've been thinking about for a while because I knew I'd have to give it. And I've been stressed, cranky at home, short with my children and my family. And it occurred to me that what I've been going through this week is what our nation's been going through this past year. We are stressed and cranky and short and divided. And I get to preach to you and make it all all right. I guess there's a different kind of perspective. Uh, No matter what the situation, there's always someone thinking about how they can uh, bring something good from it. I like what this realtor, his perspective on the election was. And that is, uh, if you're moving to Canada, whichever way it goes, he's there to help you. Uh, So give old Jeff a call. That's, That's good thinking right there. Uh, like this one, it was kind of, <laughs> I don't know if you voted already or not, or maybe you will on Tuesday, but you perhaps feel this way. Um, and finally, I like the, you know, of course I got to end with the, the church perspective. And I, I think this church definitely wins the sign contest. For those of you listening on the podcast, you've just missed out on some wonderful humor. But as I said, today is a sermon I really don't want to preach. Uh, Whatever you say when you preach is tricky business, uh, especially in front of 700 or so people, because everybody has an opinion. Everybody knows what they think you ought to say. Uh, If I say nothing about political issues, and some preachers do that, Uh, And they're accused of compromise. If I say anything about political issues, I'll be reminded to stick to the spiritual things. Or I'll be threatened with lawsuits by groups like the Freedom from Religion Foundation. I'm not complaining about that. And I'm certainly not afraid. I simply want you to understand the tough spot I know you're in, but that especially preachers are in, in an election year. And this year is especially difficult. I feel like one of the, that old Steeler's Wheel song, if you know it, trying to make sense of it all, but I can see that it makes no sense at all. Is it cool to go sleep on the floor? Because I don't think I can take any more. Clowns to the left of me and jokers to the right. All funny aside, the election this Tuesday, as all elections are, very important. Unlike so many countries in the world, we have the ability to choose those who we put in charge. When Paul wrote about the role of government in Romans 13, he wasn't talking about having the opportunity to elect a Caesar. Our position as Christians today, living here in America, is so unique in the world, not just at this time, but throughout all of history. Unlike many of our brothers and sisters around the world or at other times, we have a unique opportunity that they didn't. John Jay, the first justice of the chief justice of the Supreme Court, said that God has given to our people 
the choice of her rulers, of, her, of our Christian nation. As Christians, we're called to live and to act and even, yes, to vote in accordance with his word as we live in a world that often does not. It matters because elections have consequences. When we go into the voting booth on Tuesday, or if you already have, what you're really doing is choosing the moral and spiritual direction of our nation. And that's an opportunity that very few citizens of countries around the world have. And it is a responsibility that should not be abdicated. Today's choices bring tomorrow's realities. I'll just lift this to you as an example. Eight years ago, our country had a similar choice to elect a president. When he was elected, his values and his priorities ruled the day. That's how it works. So eight years later, as we look around in our country and we see religious liberty being attacked, we see marriage being mocked by the state, we see boys being allowed to go into your daughter's school restroom or locker room. Those present realities are a result of our past decisions. That's why elections matter, because the choice we make today impacts deeply the realities we will face tomorrow. And the realities that our children and their children will face now, it's true at the national level, but it's also true at the state and local level. The leader, the attitudes and the actions and the values of that leader run all throughout the culture. So when you and I, as believers, as followers of Christ, have the opportunity to vote, I hope, I pray, that we give it considerable prayer and thought. The people that you pick will be those whose values lead the day over the next four to eight years. Moreover, the next president, in all likelihood, will select the judges and justices that will impact our nation for decades and generations to come. It is a very serious responsibility when you consider it. So what is a Christian to do? This morning, I will not offer you a recommendation of who to vote for, but rather three things as we consider how God's holy people living in America prepare to elect the imperfect men and women who will lead our country, our state, over the next several years. Number one, we have to focus on the issues. There have been Christians throughout the years who have advocated political abstinence. My kingdom is not of the world, they say. And I understand that. I know that verse. I don't believe that that verse was where Jesus was talking about the right to vote. But I do understand that perspective. And while I agree that our citizenship lies in heaven, I also believe God has placed you and I in a unique position for such a time as this. I do not believe that we can or should abdicate our responsibility as stewards of the vote that God has given us as a citizen of this country. Other countries don't get to do that. People who live in other places, they all want to have say into our election. Do you know why that is? Because they understand what a privilege it is to vote. In this presidential election, many God-fearing and sincere people ask, 
how can I vote for either of these candidates with a clear conscience? Some are saying, I'm just staying out of it. I don't agree with that. Being in strong and courageous has been our theme this year at Northside. And that means trusting in the Lord and doing what is right, including in how you use your vote. Some Christians go the other way, not just abstaining, but they just vote straight party ticket. They just look at the letters next to the name R or D, and that's how they vote. That's not good either. You've got to pay attention to the issues and where the people that are representing you stand on those. Now, there are a lot of issues to think about and a lot of issues that good, reasonable Christians may disagree over. But I believe that every Christian should be able to agree on the issue of life. We should elect leaders who believe that all life is sacred to God. In our country, this has been relevant for 43 years. According to the CDC, which is, this is a very conservative estimate, in 2012, there were 700,000 babies murdered in America. To put that in perspective, in the time it takes to preach this message, 40 babies created in the image of God will have been senselessly and thoughtlessly murdered because their mothers didn't want them. I'm sorry, that's not a women's health issue. If it is, what about the 350,000 baby girls that were murdered? Now, that's an issue that we can be clear on, that the Bible is clear on. God's people who have been given life through Jesus Christ should at minimal stand for the issue of life. If you believe the Holy Scriptures that you're known in the womb, that you are knit together by your Father, you should pay attention. If you believe that, you should stand for those who stand for the right to life. Now, there's some of you who have tuned me out. Pay attention. The reason abortion happens every single day is because the leaders we have chosen. So when you choose a leader, you better know where they stand. The value of life includes not just the very young, but also the very old. There are those who believe that at a certain age, you become a burden to the state. God's people believe life from all ages, from the first heartbeat to the last, is precious to God. And it is his exclusive divine right to begin and to end. <clears throat> now, the value of life is not the only life, uh, issue that should be of concern to conscientious Christians. <clears throat> Starting to feel like certain political candidate up here. I would, my kingdom for a glass of water would be wonderful. <laughs> stay on script, stay on script. The value of life should, be of con should not be the only issue that's of concern. But it is an example of one issue. And I know the value of life doesn't matter very much in our culture and to most other voters who will go in the booth on Tuesday. But those issues should matter very much to Christians. There are other issues like the sanctity of marriage, your religious freedom, and you do well to pay attention to those things. 
because they will have tremendous impact on your children and grandchildren. When you think about this election, please don't get caught up. Thank you. Please don't get caught up in the media cycle of the day. That is both exhausting and depressing. But it's my conviction those cycles are designed to do one thing. That's to sell advertisements. And so if they can keep you stressed out and paying and tuned in, then they have done their job. But above that, they distract God's people from the things that are important to God. When I voted this last Tuesday, I did it early. I was not just looking at party. I was paying attention to the issues. Now, I, I found some voter, Christian voter guides. I put some in the back if you're interested, and those will help you. Uh, and they tell you where the presidential candidates will stand on the issue of life and the sanctity of marriage and so forth. And if you're a Christian and you're voting, you should know where the candidates stand. Because if you're voting for them, that's what you're standing for as well. If you've learned anything this year, oh, I hope you have learned the lesson that there are surely no perfect politicians. But for that matter, there are no perfect voters. And if I'm really honest, there's no perfect preachers. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And we must choose from that ballot a list of imperfect candidates, those that we do our very best to discern who closely line up with the matters that matter to God. It's part of being a citizen of this country. It's one of the responsibilities we have. Focus on the issues. Don't be distracted by the day-to-day. Number two, be prayerful more than political. I need to repent personally. I confess to you this morning in the past, I have been very much too political in my life and on my social media page. And I've allowed my heart and my mind to become cluttered with politics and things of this world. It took up way too much of my talk, my thoughts, my time, my energy. And it didn't bring me or anyone else who followed me closer to Jesus. And for that, I need to repent. It's so easy to do. Just share an opinion on your Facebook page or post a a stinging meme on Twitter or Instagram. And you'll soon find yourself in a spirited debate with your friend's cousin's neighbor's softball coach. And while that will be entertaining, it will also be a great waste of time and energy that God gave you. And for all that arguing, no one will be changed. Can you believe in all the politics that I've gotten involved with? I've never once had a person say, you know, Toby, you've changed my mind. You've changed my heart. I I was thinking differently about it, but you have brought me closer to your way of thinking. No. It's only make us hardened and uglier and more divided than ever. If you're a Christian struggling with politics this season, or if you've been drawn into the crazy yourself... Let me help you with a word from Scripture that helped me. And I need to tell you this. Neither Trump nor Hillary will fix your life. In this world or in the next. Only Jesus can do that. 
So here's what Jesus says, writing in Colossians chapter 3, through the hand of Paul. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complaint, forgiving each other, as the Lord forgave you, you must also forgive. Above these, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And whatever you do in word or deed or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God because of the Father through him. I stand here before you saying I need to repent because of my political past. But I do that so I can also lead you to repentance as well. This year has been nuts, crazy, and maybe you've been a part of that. And if you have, you've been conned by the enemy. And no, I'm not talking about the person on the other party, on the other side of the political aisle. I'm talking about the real enemy. And this is who Paul writes about in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I know you think you know who the enemy is, but brothers and sisters and guests this morning, hear me. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Open your eyes and pay attention to how the enemy has distracted us from the real battle. I'll give you an example, a tough one, admittedly. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, and for that matter, every other politician running this season, have been made in the image of God. There was a point in time in which God knit them together cell by cell in their mother's womb. And Jesus died for them too. Jesus wants them in heaven, both, just as much as he wants all of you in heaven. And if you vilified a person, you've given yourself an excuse to write them off eternally. I pray God none of us have gotten to that point. But if you have... You need to repent. If Jesus can redeem you and I, then he can certainly redeem them too. Now, that's not to say I love their politics. I still have to pay attention to the issues and do my best to vote accordingly. But in the kingdom of God, we believe that God does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes this, these verses. And I, I grant, they're not talking about elections, but pay attention to verses 3 and 4 of 2 Corinthians 10. Paul writes, though we live in the world, we, 
talking about those in Christ here, do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, again, Paul is not talking about elections, but I do think these verses remind us of a powerful truth that as kingdom people, our battle is not flesh and blood. Our weapons are much more powerful than that. And the one who we serve is more powerful as well. Power, prayer is the most powerful and unfortunately the least used weapon in our spiritual battle against evil. Tonight, we're going to have a dedicated time of prayer. Now, I know this is risky because I watch how people vote with their feet. On Sunday nights, most of the time anyway, we don't have a, a, a large crowd. And on a time where you're specifically focusing on one thing where there's not a message, you know, you're focusing on singing or praying. If you go to family camp, you know, most people sign up for child care during the prayer service. That's not good. We as God's people need to come together. If you believe that we as a nation are on a precipice and you believe in the power of God and that our battle is not a political one but a spiritual one, I want to ask you to come together tonight to engage in battle. We're going to be led by our shepherds and myself and we're going to pray and it, that's all we're going to do. So I want to ask you to cancel your whatever you've got going and come back here tonight at six o'clock because it will help us to do the third thing. And that is keep a kingdom perspective. I love my country deeply, more, more deeply than I can adequately convey this morning. And these past several elections, I've been getting more and more concerned about the direction of a country that I love. I can only imagine what it must be like. I know several of you have served and have served your country both now and in the past. This Friday, as we recognize our veterans on Veterans Day, I can only imagine what it must be like for you, having fought, having risked your life for your country. I want to say thank you for having done that. But I know the angst that you must share even far and above my own. Now, I can't think of what country has done as much good in the world as her. What country can you experience the freedoms that we have? What country do you get to elect your leaders? What country is the first to write a check around the world when disaster strikes? She is not a perfect country, but I can think of none better. The republic is not perfect, but in my opinion, it's the best option we have for a man-made system. Now, before you get all Sensitive. I'm not wrapping myself in the flag here. What I'm doing is sharing my heart. I love my country. And I want my kids to love their country. And I want their kids. And I don't want to have a conversation with my grandchildren someday about how great we used to be. The biblical truth of the matter, however, is that nations... Both rise and fall. The Bible tells us the story of many that have done both. Egypt and Rome were both once, like America, the dominant world power of the day. 
And yet today they are but a remnant of their former glory. What makes a nation fall? What leaves them on the ash heap of history? The Bible says this. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Psalm 33 verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Psalm 22:28 For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. I believe the United States of America is a good nation. But what has made us good has never been about us or our leaders but about God. And as fully as we have relied on him that's when we've been great. And he alone can make us great once more. No human being can do that. We may be on the brink of repentance and revival. I don't know. Nineveh heard the prophet Jonah and repented. We too may experience God's mercy. But that depends less on who's in the White House and more on who reigns in your house. And if God so chooses, he can end us. For a solid 50 years, America has been less and less reliant on God Almighty. How long will God wait? I do not know. I do believe, as was said by President Reagan, if we ever forget that we are a nation, one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Has God done a lot of good through this country? Yes. But God can do a lot of good through any country that will let him. And if we as a nation choose to neglect his word and his authority, well, nations don't have a great track record of living by that. Now listen, I'm not saying it all ends on Wednesday. What I am saying is don't bind up all your faith in a nation. Don't put your country ahead of your Lord. Love them both. But love them in the right order. The beautiful thing about being in his kingdom is that we win regardless. Regardless of who is elected, Jesus remains on the throne. He will be glorified. His will will be done. His word remains true. And his bride, the church, will go about her work faithfully as she awaits her return, her, the beloved to return. Our victory Hear me now, our victory does not depend on Tuesday. So we end with this. There are two things that I want to pray for in our country and in us. And I hope that you will consider them. Number one, I want to pray for personal repentance. Now, you can pick on the candidates, and that's been done on both sides. But I want to ask you, how would you fare up under that light? And more importantly, I want to ask you, are you being faithful to the Lord? Are you turning from sin? Are you humbly seeking his face? The circus has distracted us from the issues, but it's worse than that. Has politics and news and social media distracted you from your personal relationship with the Lord? From your daily Bible reading, from your quiet time with God, from your prayer time, from your personal repentance. If you've been watching all of these, all of this craziness this season and thinking, oh, 
Look at those poor people. And it has kept you from having a relationship with God. Then you are the one who's a poor person. God said this to Solomon after he built the temple of God. The scripture that was read for you this morning. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Did you hear that? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, not fix everybody else, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I'm calling us to repent. I'm calling us to personal repentance. It's easy to focus on how bad the other politician is or how bad the party is. I want to ask you, if you want healing from God, if you want forgiveness, if you want healing for your land, are you humbling yourself? Are you praying? Are you seeking his face? How in the world can we seek that from our leaders, which we do not have ourselves? Number two, let us pray for dedicated Christians who will fast and pray. This is the best way for righteous people to affect change. Don't look to the left for your answers and don't look to the right for your answers. Look up for the answers. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to challenge the entire congregation, every person who's sitting in the pew this morning, every person who hears the podcast, every person who is watching this right now on live streaming, to dedicate the next 48 hours to specific personal repentance and prayer and fasting for yourself and for your country. Fast, if, you, if your health permits it, skip, commit to missing a meal and focusing that time on prayer. If you cannot fast, then fast from so many other things. Fast from your smartphone. Fast from social media. Fast from turning on the television or reading the paper. I mean, that'll probably do you as much good as anything. But if you just fast and use that time that you normally would have given to worldly things and dedicate you and your house to prayer. And if you want to post anything on social media, I just ask you to to post 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. We need to call more believers to pray. I want our families to commit to prayer. Pray sincerely, pray fervently, pray reverently, and fast for your nation. And also pray collectively. Tonight we're going to have this dedicated time of prayer, and I beg you to join us to return to engage in spiritual battle. This is, by the way, the way Christians should behave all the time, not just during the election season. Paul wrote to Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and 
quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it. I know you think the leaders affect change, but God can affect those leaders. After all the mudslinging, all the insulting, all the lying, to which it seems we've set a new low, the day after the election, some will be left standing, others defeated. But we will all carry the wounds of fear, anxiety, hatred, distrust. In the wake of both triumph and pain, how do we move forward? Hope can't be found in the promises of broken people, but only in the sovereignty of a perfect God. He is not surprised by outcomes, and his purposes cannot be hindered. For this reason, we elect to put our hope in God, not a person. We elect to trust his certain plan, not our foolish ways. And we move forward believing God loves us, is in control, and is on the move. Hope and pray that tonight you will join us here at 6 o'clock for a time of praying. I hope you will focus in the next 48 hours to fast and pray and repent and ask God to turn the hearts of their leaders, of our leaders, back to Him. Now, as I said, none of these candidates can save you. Only Jesus can do that. And if you aren't yet in His kingdom, I want to call you out of darkness into the kingdom of light. Jesus said His kingdom was not part of this world. The good news is that you can be part of the eternal kingdom of Jesus where the king of kings reigns. Your greatest need in life is not an elephant or a donkey, but the Lamb of God. May we be called to be his people. This morning, if you need to repent or if you need to begin with Jesus in his kingdom, I pray that you will as together we stand and sing.